Welcome to EAN Cast, your weekly source for education, research, and updates from the European Academy of Neurology. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our weekly EAN podcast. My name is Yildiz Digirmanji, and I'm associate editor of the e-learning platform, the European Academy of Neurology EAN campus. And besides that, the head of neurology department in Istanbul Health and Technology University. Today, we're talking about outcome of neurological toxicity of immune checkpoint inhibitors, and we learn about the immune checkpoint resumption after neurological toxicity, whether yes or no. And our guest is Dr. Antonio Farina. He is a PhD student and neurologist working at the Correggi University Hospital in Florence, Italy. He spent two years in Lyon at the French Reference Center of Perineoplastic Neurological Syndromes and Autoimmune Encephalitis, where he conducted research projects on neurological toxicities of immune checkpoint inhibitors. We are very happy that he could have the time for our podcast today. Welcome, Antonio. Thank you, and I'm very happy to be here. We are very happy to have you here today. So, following our previous episode in neurological complications from cancer immunotherapy, it's really interesting to deepen into this hot topic of immune checkpoint inhibitors in the era of the uh, fight against cancer. So, just to start with, would you please give us a brief recap of the general aspects of neurological toxicities of immune checkpoint inhibitors, please? Of course, uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors represent a major advance in cancer treatment and their use in clinical practice is ever-expanding. These are monoclonal antibodies that target negative regulators of T-cells such as PD-1, PDL one or uh, CTLA-4. And we know that cancer cells may exploit these immune checkpoint molecules to escape anti-tumor immune surveillance. Therefore, their inhibition by immune checkpoint inhibitors activates the immune system and leads to clinically effective anti-tumor responses with increased survival of patients with even a metastatic or advanced stage cancer. On the downside, the activation of the immune system frequently causes uh, autoimmune toxicities that are defined as immune-related adverse events. These events may affect any organ system, including the uh, nervous system, mostly manifesting with uh, peripheral nervous system toxicities, such as myositis or uh, peripheral neuropathies, but also central nervous system toxicities, such as meningitis or uh, encephalitis. And it's very important to keep in mind that even if they are very rare, they are relevant because they are often severe and even life-threatening. And so I think we must know uh, these toxicities to uh, recognize and to treat them promptly. Thank you, Antonio. And speaking of these autoimmune toxicities of immune checkpoint inhibitors, and I was wondering about the neurological outcome of the patients with such toxicities. Can you please deepen into it a bit? Yes, of course. So as I said before, these toxicities are uh, life-threatening. And in fact, the reported fatality rates are quite high, around 20%, and even more in certain clinical presentations, such as the association be between myositis and myocarditis. So in the acute phase, uh, neurological toxicity represents the first cause of fatal outcome. However, if we look at the long term, it is rather cancer progression, the first cause of mortality in these patients. And when we look at the neurological outcomes, most of these patients, despite our treatments, keep a long-term disability that is reported in as much as 
50% of patients. This disability seems to be uh, mostly related to incomplete recovery from the first event, so to neurological sequelae, while relapses of the toxicities are quite infrequent and mostly appear in the setting of corticosteroid tapering or immune checkpoint inhibitor challenge. The scenario of a chronic active disease is quite rare in this context, so immune checkpoint inhibitors do not frequently trigger chronic active diseases such as uh, myasthenia gravis requiring long-term immunosuppression or multiple sclerosis. Of course, there have been case reports of this uh, scenario, but this does not correspond to the most frequent clinical scenario in this context. Extremely interesting indeed. And how neurological toxicities of immune checkpoint inhibitors are generally treated? The first thing to keep in mind is that any patient developing neurological symptoms on immune checkpoint inhibitor treatment must undergo at least temporarily immune checkpoint inhibitor discontinuation and a neurological assessment is also necessary. This is very important because, as you can imagine, patients with advanced stage cancer have often have other potential causes of uh, neurological dysfunction, such as metastatic cancer or complications of other treatments. So first, it's important to confirm that what we are observing is actually a neurological toxicity. In addition to that, we need to establish the severity grade because the management strategies can vary according to the uh, severity. So as a general rule, the first-line immunosuppression is represented by corticosteroids that in case of uh, severe toxicities are given intravenously and a high dose. In case of uh, myositis myasthenia and acute polyradiculoneuropathies, uh, upfront administration of intravenous immunoglobulins uh, and or plasma exchange is also advised as it is in any patient that fails to recover after one, two weeks on corticosteroids. In uh, such steroids refractory patients, uh, rapid escalation to second-line treatment is also necessary, but there is a big unknown regarding the best treatment choice. So, of course, if we think about the uh, mechanism of action of immune checkpoint inhibitors, uh, we should probably choose a drug that acts on T-cells, such as cyclophosphamide, but also anti-CD20 therapies have been used with some efficacy in case reports. Uh, you may wonder if immunosuppression may be deleterious for patients' outcome, for patients' oncological outcomes, so foster cancer progression. And of course, there is a, a concern regarding that, even if we don't have definite data. But that's why right now, a very promising approach is represented by anti-interleukin-6 therapies because we have preclinical and clinical data that show that these drugs combine an anti-inflammatory effect with an anti-tumoral effect, so their effect is synergistic with the immune checkpoint inhibitor, and we have also data that demonstrate their efficacy for the treatment of immune-related adverse events. Even though when it comes to neurological toxicities that are very rare, evidence is more limited. Well, these are great clues about the management strategies indeed, and uh, you already mentioned about the neurological outcomes of these inhibitors, but you know, are there any prognostic factors which may help clinicians to predict these long-term, for example, neurological outcomes? Yeah, we could recently study, uh, study prognostic factors in a large cohort of patients of almost uh, 150 cases with neurological immune-related adverse events. And what we observed is that the outcome really depends on the clinical presentation 
For instance, we have patients with myositis that if they survive the acute phase, very rarely retain long-term neurological disability. While we have other clinical presentations, for instance, some presentations that resemble paraneoplastic neurological syndromes, such as limbic encephalitis or sensory neuronopathy, in this case, long-term outcomes are very poor. And this also mimics what we observe in paraneoplastic neurological syndromes in ICI-naive patients. Other prognostic factors rely on baseline characteristics. So we and others observe that older age is associated with worse long-term neurological outcomes. And also the type of cancer has an impact because patients with melanoma have better long-term outcomes than patients with lung cancer, for instance. Another prognostic factor is the concomitant presence of a non-neurological immune-related toxicities that is associated with improved long-term outcomes. Well, you already summarized about the oncological outcomes of the immune checkpoint inhibitors. Would you please repeat it for me to understand especially? Is there an evidence that the occurrence of such toxicities, including neurological toxicities, is associated with better immune checkpoint treatment response or longer survival? Yeah, this is a very intriguing point, of course, and I think it's it's reasonable that somehow the occurrence of an immune-related adverse events is a biomarker that immune checkpoint inhibitors works well in activating the immune system. But current literature, as far as I know, is quite controversial. Of course, we have some studies, especially including patients with a melanoma, that found an association between the occurrence of an immune-related adverse events and better oncological outcomes and prolonged survival of patients but other studies did not have the same results. Uh, what's very interesting is that it seems that certain kind of toxicities that are more closely related to a, a certain cancer type, this is the example of vitiligo, that is a very specific immune-related adverse event for melanoma patients, is more closely associated with better long-term outcomes. Well, thank you again. So far, we learned a lot about immune checkpoint inhibitors from you, but I was wondering, what is your professional opinion and your experience about the resumption of immune checkpoint inhibitors? Do you think that it is a necessity or re-challenge? Is it necessary? I think that's a very good question because, as I said before, cancer progression is the first cause of death in patients with neurological toxicities of immune checkpoint inhibitors. So I think that immune checkpoint inhibitors might be relevant. However, it can also not always be necessary. We know we have some data that show that even patients that have received only very few cycles of immune checkpoint inhibitors and then they have to stop the treatment, they can maintain a complete cancer remission for years after the last dose. And this has been mostly observed for melanoma patients who achieved a complete response after a few cycles. So I think that the most important message is that the approach must be multidisciplinary. We need to talk with the oncologist and to discuss if there is actually an indication to a rechallenge. You're touching upon very good points indeed. And speaking of the recurrence of neurological toxicities, what is the risk of the recurrence of them? You know, after the immune checkpoint inhibitor resumption. So what current data say us is that immune checkpoint inhibitor in neurological toxicities is quite safe because very low relapses rates have been observed across all studies. But we, we must be aware of the fact that immune checkpoint inhibitory challenge 
has been mostly attended in selected cases, in selected clinical presentations, such as myositis without myocarditis or meningitis without encephalitis or peripheral neuropathy. So we do not really commonly rechallenge patients with severe presentations. So we don't know if it's safe to resume immunocheckpoint inhibitor in, for instance, patients with paranoplastic-like neurological symptoms. So again, I think that the approach must be multidisciplinary. I think that we need to take into account the severity of the first event. Of course, the amount of recovery from the first event but also other factors such as life expectancy, the availability of other treatments, and of course, to try to involve the patient and their caregiver and to take a shared decision and to weight very well which are the expected risks and benefits. Thank you indeed. Uh, you already emphasized the you know, general approaches, but are there any strategies to reduce the risk of recurrence after rechallenging? Can you just summarize them a bit for us? Yeah, so I think that the most important thing to do is to adequately treat the first event. We can say that because there was a study from the Mayo Group that showed a very high relapse rate among patients that underwent rechallenge for a neurological toxicity, but the authors also observed that none of these patients received an adequate immune suppression for the first event. So I think that this is a very important message. There are other strategies that sometimes are suggested, for instance, to resume the immune checkpoint inhibitor with a low dose of corticosteroids or to change the class of immune checkpoint inhibitors. But as far as I know, we don't have robust evidence that these strategies are actually effective, at least in the setting of neurological toxicities. Well, speaking of myself, I really would like to thank you, uh, Antonio. You really gave us a great and delightful talk and a comprehensive insight into these immune checkpoint inhibitors. Personally, I learned a lot. I believe that our audience also learned a lot. So your expertise has been extremely valuable, I believe, and informative. Thank you for sharing your time and being with us today. Is there anything you would like to say for us to conclude? Thank you. Now, I would like just to say that, again, I would like to repeat, to emphasize that even if these toxicities are rare, they can be very important for the management for the future of these patients. So I think that as neurologists, we need to know them, to recognize them and to treat them promptly. Well, these are been very good last sentences and it's been a great pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for all your timing and for all these comprehensive insights and knowledge. It's been a great pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure for me as well. Thank you. This has been EANCast Weekly Neurology. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcatcher for weekly updates from the European Academy of Neurology. You can also listen to this and all of our previous episodes on the EAN campus to gain points and become an EAN expert in any of our 29 neurological specialties. Simply become an EAN individual member to gain access. For more information, visit ean.org membership. That's ean.org backslash membership. Thanks for listening. EANcast Weekly Neurology is your unbiased and independent source for educational and research-related neurological content. Although all content is provided by experts in their field, it should not be considered official medical advice.